Welcome to this episode of the Swim Swam podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges, and joining us today, we have Olympic champion, world champion, Commonwealth Games champion, and 200 breast extraordinaire, Zach Stubblety Cook. Zach, how's it going, man? Very good, very good. Thank you for having me. just reminiscing with you it's been two and a half years since i last spoke with you and that was right after you had won your olympic gold medal uh in tokyo in the tuner breast i can't believe it's been that long but you know how have you been since then <laughs> i mean pretty good we had a pretty good year in the year after the olympics your hair's a bit longer but uh <laughs> you know <laughs> and um i'm in a very different location i remember like we we're just talking about like we ended that point so we were locked up coming home from the games um but yeah like the last two and a half years have been an absolute well win but i've learned a lot and raced a lot and enjoyed the last two years but yeah yeah let's uh let's i'm gonna i'm gonna start with this past summer at the world championships um again you talk about a whirlwind in a little just over a year you became Olympic champion, world champion, and Commonwealth Games champion, and world record holder in that 200 breasts. Uh, I mean, you really, I, that's a quad quadrifecta, if I've ever heard of one. Yeah. Um, and so going into 2023, um, again, you have another world championships, which obviously an effect of, of the pandemic and kind of unusual to have back-to-back -back world championships like that. But going into the 2023 season, you know that, you have that world champs, you know, you're a year out from the Olympics. Where were you mentally heading into that season? Again, after accomplishing all that you had, everything you can basically accomplish in, in, <laughs> in, a, in a single event. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was actually really interesting world championships and one I learned a lot from, um, purely because of that, like, because I did everything I wanted to do in the sport in a very, very short space of time. And for me, that was a, an interesting, like to continue that motivation, continue that uh, belief in yourself to, to keep pushing. And I think like one of the people I spoke to a lot about was with Adam and Mel Marshall as well. Like we spoke about this like uh, thing of like when you become the 1% and that might be an Olympic gold, you become part of a, not a club or, but a small group of people and a small group of people understand what it's like. And then when you break a world record and then Commonwealth champ and roll all those things into one, it's like suddenly there's a 1% of a 1% understand kind of what has just transpired. So for me, that was a really interesting um, mental, uh, yeah, like challenge in, in layman's terms, I guess, or the stress um, that I went through. And I think going into that 2023 season, I didn't really know what to expect. Like, I don't know. I don't think I was at my best, like, to be fair. Um, and I think, like, the result I got out of the 2023 World Champs, although losing the world record, was actually, like, for me, I was quite happy with where I was at, considering where I was at physically and mentally. Um, to get that out of myself, given those circumstances and given the whirlwind that was 2022. And I was like, absolutely over the moon with that result. Yeah. Uh, just heading into those world champions. I mean, ag again, you put it in layman's terms, but you're, you're dealing with this stress, this pressure, um, of trying to motivate yourself after having accomplished so much. How do you, how did you get there? You know, how did you get to the place where you were able to uh, put up that performance at the 2023 Worlds that that you were able to? You know, what what were the keys for you of 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 being able to motivate yourself? Uh, I think part part of the part of it was there was a little motivation. Like, if I'm honest, like, um, but the other half of it is that you know you do continue to swim or continue to pursue swimming 
because you believe there is more in it. And ultimately, like, that's probably the conclusion I came to and why I'm still doing today. Like, if I didn't think there was more in the 200 breasts for me, then I wouldn't, like, if I, if I believed I swam my perfect race, then I guess that would be the day I retire. Um, but we haven't quite got there yet. And I think there's definitely more in it. And I continue to push that. And I, and I saw glimpses of it in the season and saw glimpses of like where I could be at and what's possible and stringing those sessions together is what this season's about. But that's definitely what I took and continued to motivate me was like those small little windows where you're like, oh, like it is still there. Oh, it's still like possible to continue to build that turn of breast. And then I think as well as that, we tried a few different things at the end of last year. Um, but before I get into that as well. Let's uh, now's a good, as good a time as any, um, what, uh, what new, yeah. What, what are those new things? What did that, what, what did that look like for you? I mean, everyone knows that I've definitely trained more backhand speed my whole life. Like <laughs> that's no secret the way I race um, and definitely train, continue to train like that, but definitely more, we've definitely more contrasted the training um, as well. Like as I've gotten older, I can, definitely lean on some of that aerobic base that I've still got and be able to tap into that. Um, definitely took a bit of what I saw what Nick Fink was doing as well. Like that contrast of like swimming distance with the freestyles and contrasting with, um, and definitely like probably chased that a little bit more. Um, and like, that was, I think we didn't quite get it right at the beginning of last year, but at the end of last year, we definitely started to see, a shift in that momentum whether because of that strength block we did got a new gym coach um and then we kind of he if i'm honest like he was part of the missing link of like gapping all the support staff and the support team around me together um pulling that snc the physiology and then pulling vince in and getting an understanding of like you know we've we've almost expended this this side of the swimming like that back end speed like yes, we can definitely get faster in it, but at what cost and how much more time and energy do we have to actually spend on getting that 90, that last 10%. Whereas we have this whole other untapped system where we can start to play with, like it's at 10% capacity. Can we get it up to 25? Like we acknowledge that, you know, we're not going to get it to, you know, we're not going to go full other end of the spectrum of absolute, anaerobic animal we're gonna we're gonna leave it as maintaining that strength whilst building some other tools to the toolbox if you want yeah uh and so how did you feel like that played out heading in in that 2023 world championship run um where you were first out of prelims 2089 um first out of semis 2072 and then mm -hmm. ultimately silver behind Chen Hai Yang, 2.064. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the the first and second one, sorry, the heat and semi felt unreal, like especially the heat. And like, I think that came with the territory of being kind of the guy to beat and like having been in control of that race. And I think for me, like, like took a lot of confidence from the heat, especially like, I enjoyed the way that race kind of happened and felt really in control in the semi kind of like wanted, probably wanted it a little bit much and same in that final, like, I think I left, I left my run a little bit too late and didn't really, uh, like my weakness has absolutely got exploited. That's less like, let's be honest. Like that's what happened. <laughs> um, and like it just, it showed where the weakness was. And I think, kind of opened the eyes of my coach as well to say, oh, like, that's something we really need to do. Um, and since then has been really receptive of that and like had a really good team around us to be able to do that. Cause it's like, I'll be honest, like he's 70 and he's 70. So like, he's not comfortable doing it. Like he's always known, he's like grown up with, you know, Bill Sweetenham style stuff of like, and, and Kieran Perkins based stuff. And where it's just like, it's do the miles it's meat and potatoes training and it will accumulate over time and you'll get better over time. Whereas we're seeing stuff like cam where it's like ultra specific to the event and 
purely, well, he's gone like he's purely anaerobic and able to uh, lean on the base. He's already got a little bit to maintain that over a week. And on top of that, like doing really race specific weighted stuff and et cetera. And he's like another interesting person. That's like the opposite end of the spectrum, I guess, of like the new school of swimming, if you want. Um, so I guess we've kind of landed somewhere in between that. And like, I'll acknowledge like he's been, you know, it's been great to be able to do that with him. And because like, I know he's not comfortable doing that. Like it's completely out of his comfort zone. And like, it's not in my comfort zone either. Like I, enjoy the work so doing stuff that's like uh less is more is hard for my brain to be like okay can i just do like 2050s like, no you can only do four but they have to be all good like, it's like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's a really interesting perspective we don't get that a whole lot of 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 someone <laughs> resisting less right um usually it's the other way around but it makes sense, right? Because, I, you know, in, in from your perspective, it's like I just want to do the work, and like then if I if I do it, then it's in the bank and I'm good. But mm. yeah, like like you said, it, it's it's a whole different philosophy. Um, mm. and I think we're seeing, it seems like we're seeing a lot of people have a combination of those two mm. schools of thought, um, which I really enjoy. I like. <clears throat> I think there's good things from the old school mentality and I think there's a lot of good things coming out from the new school. And I think, you know, combining forces seems like a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, I want to talk about Chin Haiyang because, because going into the tuner breast at world champs, I thought he was, he was not going to be a factor. I thought he would like 50 hundred guy, he, he had like made the total conversion. I thought he was Adam peeing it. Right. And so then we, he's like, Oh, he's in the final. I was like, he's not going to do anything. Is that mm. what you were thinking too? I think, yeah, I think everyone was in that same boat. And I think like after that first hundred, I thought, I think everyone also then thought, Oh, this is like, that was his shot. Yeah. Like similar to what, you know, Arno did in Tokyo, like went mm -hmm. for it in that first hundred and just like, you know, like hurt coming home and i was like that's what's probably gonna happen like when i was in that race i was like he's gonna die and then he didn't and i was like oh okay <laughs> um yeah like it was it was definitely like interesting to go into that race and then come out of that and be like oh, what the f just happened like <laughs> um and like it was really cool to see someone like that have that success and like show that it is still possible to do all three um but yeah, like I think he made a lot of people like hungrier to beat him too at the same time. Um, for sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so give me your, your initial reaction after that race of, of obviously not only just, you know, not being able to get your hand on the wall first, but, but seeing him smash your world record and then, and then what are your thoughts now, you know, having, reflected for six to eight months yeah i mean initially i was probably like pretty just stoked with my result considering probably not the work i'd done but the the preparation i'd had and then i think after the bit of a reflection i think i was like it gave me a bit more hunger at the end of last year like i was like fuck yeah like let's do this like like, I know I can go faster. Like, I know that there's more in it. And then doing that different style of or contrasted training was really like, okay, this is the missing link. Like, this is what we, the direction, I like, it started to feel right again. Um, yeah, like, that's probably what I've reflected on. Because I guess, like, for me personally, like, I'm a big person of, like, I can only control what I can control. And obviously, like, I've seen his race plan. I've seen, like, not his race plan, but, like, you know, looked at that race and looked at how he split it and stuff but like it's very consistent with almost old school turn breast but like to a different level um like a very different level to like <laughs> but the consistency of splitting is is similar um to like you know 2008 2009 kind of turn breast stroke work um but 
yeah, shifted the paradigm a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I guess for me, like understanding that and understanding how I have to shift as well to be able to be competitive, like still continuing that back end, but how do I be competitive through that front front end speed? Mm-hmm. Does does that include the hundred or is that really when you say front end speed, are you thinking first hundred or first fifty? Both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely both. Like and I think I know and I've known for a few years that like I have to be, you know, fifty nine low, fifty eight high to get competitive. Like to be comp- really, really competitive in the two like at the moment you know when i went to a six for the first time i was a 59.9 swimmer mm-hmm. and i was swimming and i was going out in 61. Mm-hmm. so like i was pushing that front end to the absolute limit or my limit at that point in time mm-hmm. and like i haven't really shifted the 100 that much like 59.5 at com games mm-hmm. like it's not like like if i'm blunt it's not good enough anymore <laughs> Like we have guys going 57th, it's, you know, so I have to improve that hundred in terms of that hundred race and then to help that 200. Cause we're thinking about all in the frame of the 200, but that hundred is, is how you do it. As simple as that. And that first 50 is, is part of that. Um, you know, I still probably subscribe to more of the, the Chukov, uh, method of the 200 breast in that like distance first stroke length off that first 50 and being as efficient as possible, but you still have to be fast. You still have to be 28 lows in that first 50 really to be competitive. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's, it's going to take some speed and then obviously, you know, I, it, it comes down to that last 50, but, if you're so far ahead and you can maintain, then that's not really a problem, I guess. <laughs> uh, so moving, so, so I guess coming off of world champs, um, what, what did the fall look like for you? Did you take a break? Did you get right back into it? Was the motivation easier to find for you? Was it, did, did you know, where, where were you mentally and physically just coming off of world champs into those next few months? Yeah, off world champs, like I had a couple of weeks off, had a, like I'd have my wisdom teeth out because I got in FAMPS, um, <laughs> which I'd been like, you know, dreading that they were going to, it was going to happen. If it was going to happen, it was going to happen at a meet, which is always the way. Um, and then so I had all them out. So I had like, you know, I had two good weeks of like gym work and a bit of anaerobic stuff to begin with in the early season and then had a week off after surgery and then kind of went from there like we really built quite quickly and then when the half of our group was at world cups end of last year like we really hit training very very hard like we were hitting 65 70k weeks for you know three weeks and it was like but we were also maintaining really high quality and i was like this is awesome like i'm really excited to race um so like we we didn't have that much time after worlds i guess in terms of out of the water but we had time where we weren't focused on the pool or focused on dry land or focused on you know doing some anaerobic work out of the pool and trying some different bits and pieces and making sure everything was good uh, physically mentally and we had a plan going forward so we did take that time i guess to to understand where we're at and what we what the next steps were but like in terms of time training off wise, like it was quite limited. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, sorry, did you go to world cups or no? No, no. We had a, a half our group go to world cups and then the other half stay back at home. And so it was four of us back at home and yeah, we, it was kind of, as our coach said, you've got to catch up. And then we kind of caught up and overtook the group that went to world cups <laughs> and they got back and we're like, they're like, Oh my God, you guys are so fit and we're not and we're like, <laughs> Uh, yeah, we've gone through hell for the last three weeks, but sure. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a funny progression. Um, yeah. why, yeah. Why, why did you opt for not training over competition at that point? I mean, we've raced, like, as you said before, like we've had back-to-back world championships, we had com games at the end of last, like 
after World Champs 2022. So, like, it's been a big, like, racing year um, or couple of years. Like, I was only talking to Rowan Taylor yesterday being like, you know, like, I was like, oh, you go to Doha soon? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, I bet you feel like you've been on the road for the last, like, three years. And he's like, yeah, (laughs) I do. And I can't wait for, like, after Paris just to decompress for a little while. And I'm like, yeah, I think all the athletes are feeling the same. So, I mean, yeah, like that's ultimately like what the decision came down to have been like, or what's more valuable for me at that point in time. And for me at that point in time was, or is still now, you know, is that training volume and that training um, capacity? Cause I, we don't have that long before Paris, like really and before Paris trials. And that, that was my next question is just, um, is, is it a similar reasoning that why you opted for not going to Doha and the, these February world mm. championships. Yeah, obviously it was like pretty tempting to go on race, especially because I think there are quite a few European guys there swimming decent breaststroke. Um, and that's like, it would create a good atmosphere, I think, um, and a good amount of competition. But I think for us, like it's a lot further to travel. We're going, to the states in march for flagstaff so like mm. um and then we have we have like you know we have our nationals in april and then we have a sydney meet in may and then we're at trials in june and then we're five days later we fly to um europe so like there's like it just clutters the season i guess <laughs> um which it doesn't it's, when i say it all like that it's like it sounds cluttered but um yeah, like, I mean, it's one one thing per month at the moment and, like, adding something extra in Feb is, like, especially before a trip flag stuff, I just don't know whether it's the best, like, probably more mentally than physically. Like, stability showed that, like, as much as people hated that COVID period, like, if you had access to a pool and had access to training, like, you probably had some of the best training in your life. Like, realistically, you had... It was very stable. Like you knew, okay, we're training at this time. That was it. Especially here in Australia, like we were training very specific times because we weren't allowed in the pool as much as we wanted to be, and that gave us a lot of stability because we knew we weren't traveling, we knew we weren't doing this, so it became very mundane. And I think that's something we've tried to bring in as well. Like, how do we keep it as simple as possible? No, it's, it's smart. I mean, especially in an Olympic year, right? You want to get, get out the unnecessary <laughs> things. And, uh, uh yeah, mm. the pan, the pandemic certainly taught us some lessons in that regard of, of, of slowing down. And, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I remember quite a few points kind of like, you know, having being stressed or being worried about getting back into normal life because I knew that, yeah. <laughs> that, that, you know, things would get hectic again. Um, so totally makes sense. And, and now we, yeah, now we've gone to like the other end of the spectrum <laughs> where we're like, Oh, we just got to do everything like all at once. And you're like, and you like, I don't know, I was listening to something the other day and it was like, they were talking about AI and artificial intelligence and being like, Oh, you know, three months ago that wasn't possible. And then I was just like, in that context, like you just the sent even that sentence being like, oh, three months ago that wasn't possible. But like the world has moved in three years so far and so fast in general. I think like we need to remember almost what COVID times were like, where we're like, no, like it's all good. Like take it slowly, like um a little bit. Yeah. I wish <laughs> I wish I wish we could. <laughs> uh it's sometimes it doesn't feel possible, but you know, so, some days it does. <laughs> And uh, especially with those with those February world champs, which are a, a, an effect of the pandemic, right? Um, that it's it's been interesting to hear athletes' perspectives on why they're going, why they're not going. Like you know, it, it doesn't seem like there's a right or wrong, but it, just everyone's kind of making their own decision and what's right for them. And um, I, I'm I'm excited to to see the competition, but obviously for the athletes not going, it's like, yeah, it makes total sense. Um, mm. you, you, nah, <laughs> I respect that too. Like, yeah, I think it's up to the individual as simple as that. Like, especially this year, like everyone's making selfish choices, whether that's, whether that's right or wrong, but 
that's ultimately like this is the year you're allowed to make selfish <laughs> choices i think like yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely uh here so i have a couple scheduling questions you're you're coming to the united states um for camp in flagstaff have you been to flagstaff before yeah this will be my fourth or fifth time fourth i think oh wow um yeah last year was we went in feb um mm -hmm. so we're the, almost there this time last year we were, all, we were very close to getting on a plane and like i think we got in on i think it was super bowl sunday and it was like <laughs> yeah wasn't yeah, it so in phoenix last year yeah we flew into phoenix there was the waste management open and the super bowl were on the same weekend in like <laughs> in and around phoenix but yeah like <clears throat> It was like a ghost town at the airport because everyone was either at the golf or at the Super Bowl already. And we were just like, oh, this is not bad, like walking through security and stuff. Um, but yeah, like, so that's when we landed last year. And it was hopefully a lot colder last year than it is going to be this year. Because last year we got snowed out twice and we weren't, we weren't able to get to training, which was like, oh, wow. like, they're like, oh, it doesn't snow in Feb slash March. And we're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, oh, wow um so how how long is that training camp for you all and how how big is your squad yes yeah, so i think it's just our group plus a couple of open water swimmers from australia <laughs> so that's vince's group so you know it's like kate campbell who hasn't been before mitch larkin who hasn't been before um uh, lizzie deckers ella ramsey uh another young breaststroker bailey lello and myself and then two coaches and a physio and a sports scientist so i think there's 10 or 11 of us um and like quite a small group really not not a large group compared to some of the groups that roll through there um and i think we're there for three weeks total i believe i have to look at some dates but yeah i know we leave mid like first weekend of march and come back last weekend ish slash land in april um but yeah like it's awesome place i love it there and i like training there and the benefit you get off it um yeah i'm excited to go again nice is there is there anywhere you can train at altitude in australia yeah there's threadbow which is i think 1200 meters um so nothing on like like less than half the height of flagstaff Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think Flagstaff, the pool's at 7,000 feet, which is like... That sounds right. Two eight, I think. Okay. 2.8. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That... It feels a lot different. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Yeah. I bet. Um, well, that's cool. That's... Uh, I hope the training trip goes well. And then uh, you're mm -hmm. competing this coming weekend. Uh, it's South Aussie States. Yeah. Um, so I, we reported this, you're, are you only entered in the 200 breast? Yeah. All right. Take yeah. me, so we, tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, cause we're able, then we're able to train on the weekend cause the two rest is on Sunday. So we're able to train and then still go down. Um, so I'm not expecting much, but I'm, I'm just keen to race. And then we're doing some training down there, like two days worth of training and skill arc off the back of that. Um, just just using their system down there and their pool and just to give us a different stimulus as well so there's only there's three of us from our group going um and yeah it's exciting i guess like to dip my toe in that turn of breast again for 2024 what uh how far of a travel is that for you um be like you flying to california so like you know two hours if oh, okay yeah. yeah yeah nice uh when was the last time you raced i like swam the tuna breast and meet worlds <laughs> <laughs> whoa yeah. all right mm. so this is this is <laughs> wow i'm speechless that's that's a long time <clears throat> yeah so i haven't raced since worlds like we had planned on going to japan and to queensland states um that was november december um but due to a couple of bits and pieces um i wasn't able to go to japan i really really wanted to um i wanted to race at the olympic pool again um probably uh, i may never have the opportunity ever again 
um, to race that pool. Like, I don't know when the next trip will be planned for that because after Paris, like, we start looking to race more in America because, like, we've got to get used to the travel um, into LA and those kind yeah. of things. And so, right. yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess, yeah, like, so for me, it was like a bittersweet not being able to go to that. But, and like, so there had been a few planned, but we had to pull out right at the last minute. Um, so, yeah. Wow. How do you, how do you feel about that? You got, you got butterflies? <laughs> I mean, I'm more nervous. Like it sounds strange, but like that, that turn of breast pain of like, it never gets, you never get used to it. Like you get used to it over a season, but like that first couple of season, you're like, you get nervous cause you know, it's going to hurt. Like you don't get nervous cause you don't know. Like I'll probably be a bit nervous cause I don't know how it's going to, the outcome of it. Um, as you, as, as I progress through the season, I kind of know where it's going to be at, like how I'm feeling, how I'm training and those kind of things. But at the moment, like it's the beginning of a new year, like we've been back in the water four weeks now. Um, like we're doing pace work and the pace is like there, but it's not, it's not as consistent as I would like, I'd say. Um, and like, I'm excited to race in that sense, but I, I like, I guess I'll be probably more nervous for that side of it being like, oh, it's going to hurt. I don't know how it's going to go, like that kind of side of it. Um, but it's a pool I'm familiar with too, so it's also like good. So, mm -hmm. Wow. Well, good good luck. I hope it goes well. <laughs> I, I can't believe it's been that long since you competed. Yeah. And yeah, the last time I raced in that pool, here's another one for you then. The last time I raced in that pool was 1259. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, mm. what, do you, what do you think you're going to go this time? <laughs> Not that fast. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was that quick at this, this time of the season. It would be, be quite a good season to look forward to if it was like that. But <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I don't want to put a time on it because I'm like, I, I don't want to put a limit on it either. Um, mm -hmm. but I'm just excited to put a good process of stroke count and rate together and kind of worry about the time afterwards. So, so first race of the season, um, like you said, stroke count mm. and stroke rate. Yeah. What, what does that look like? Like, can you take me through the race plan of like number of strokes per 50 and, or when you want to change your rate throughout the race? Cause I, I'm familiar with stroke counts, but I've, as an athlete, I never really use tempo. I was not a good athlete, mm. but I, you know, I never <laughs> use tempo. So I just, I find it very interesting of like, okay, where do you, where do you implement this throughout a race? Yeah. I, I more think of each lap as like almost like, like a gear change. So that first lap is probably like, um, a bit counter to what you'd think, but the same vein of like, it's not about trying to gain speed in that first 50. It's pure trying to minimize the speed loss from the start. So for me, like we've kind of worked out that rate is probably around 34, 35. And that rate equals about 13, 14 strokes, typically. Mm -hmm. And then the next lap will be around that 16 stroke count and will be, you know, similar rate, but building on that second 25. So the first 25 might be establishing that stroke again off that turn and then building into that 36, 37 rate and so on. And it follows that similar pattern of like almost two fifties per stroke, uh, two stroke rates per 50 and the back half, back 25 of each 50 is trying to be a little bit more on that stroke rate purely because you, as I said before, like trying to not lose that speed as simple as that. Like for me, that's probably what I'm thinking about. And then that last 50, it's, it's about, everything I got and typically it's it's around that hundred back end um rate which is typically like you know uh, 46 to 49 what does that number mean 40 like you're saying 46 to 49 like what what does that indicate strokes per minute Stro yeah. okay so strokes per minute <laughs> yeah so if you were put in an endless pool or a flow pool like you would be taking 46 strokes so like, for example, like I think Adam's world record, um, is around 55, 54 going out and then 56 coming back. So like it's a, and he's kind of changed breaststroke in that sense, like the tempo, mm -hmm. um, is very different. And like, 
you know, I think Chukos is like 26 in his first <laughs> And like to to give you context, like the stroke rates on the watches, um, all the watches on the coaches have like only goes to I think 16 or 15. Like so, if you're below that, like it just says error. And like I'm like, man, he's pushing, he's pushing it. Like he's, he's not that far from like you know getting to that bottom limit. Yeah. <laughs> That's, um, that's great. <laughs> I, so they, yeah, here, um, we, I think they do it per second. Mm-hmm. So like, that's, that's the, when coaches call out stroke rates, if like people are warming up or, you know, in practice or whatever, they'll say like 0.8 or one or yeah. 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 Um, Which kind of probably makes more sense. Cause you can like kind of count that a little bit better like yourself than, than like oh that's been a minute maybe and i've gone 37 but i've also like <laughs> built it through that minute so like i don't know <laughs> right <laughs> yeah and yeah so it's like you know they'll they'll like if, if if a coach is measuring stroke rate here they'll like get it every stroke cycle so then mm-hmm. they can be like okay you were like 0.7 from here and then like 0.8 here you know, you know whatever it is yeah but yeah, yeah they're like one one at the beginning and yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, that makes sense. I, again, I appreciate the differences and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the nuances of swimming. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. It's, that's great. Um, okay. <laughs> so we've, I, I think we're far enough into the podcast. We've covered a lot of interesting swimming stuff. Maybe we'll, we'll circle back around, but I'm hmm. here mostly to talk to you about coffee. Cause last yeah. time we spoke, we had it, it it was like one of the most delightful conversations i've had on the swim swam podcast <laughs> because we talked about coffee so give me give me the update on your coffee situation what what how what and how have you been brewing as of late uh oh that's like a good one because like i've been i bought a really i treated myself before world champs last year to a to a nice espresso machine mm-hmm. I bought myself a La Marizoco, which was like my dream machine for a long time. And I was just like, you know what? Like they had a good sale and I was like, oh, fuck it. Like, let's do it. I'll have it for life. Um, I haven't looked back. Like, um, I love it so much. So I drink a lot more espresso long blacks mm-hmm. now. Um, but when I'm on the road, it's still filter. But probably what you're more intrigued, be intrigued by is that I'm now roasting. My partner and I, we're roasting coffee together which has been really fun so so yeah we bought a roaster at the end of 2022 Mm -hmm. yep end of 2022 and just like probably once or twice a week we'll throw like some beans through it um only to family and friends at the moment but hopefully we'll build it build a bit of a brand up uh into the into this year and and have something going by the end of this year would be pretty cool but yeah like mostly filter coffee i've started to get dip my toe into like different waters as well which is like a whole other world inside <laughs> coffee like um but like I, I think i'm ready like I've, I've explored a lot of filter stuff and like different filter papers different uh water temperatures grind size all that stuff but kind of the last pillar if you want in coffee for me to like explore is water and it's one i've been like scared to as well because it's like it's a rabbit hole like that is is deep and like one of one of our friends that like he's the he's the aussie coffee water guru i would say <laughs> he spent like the last six years um like purely experimenting with coffee and water like the interaction basically um which is you know wild when you think about it like he would be an olympic gold medalist of water and coffee <laughs> like, <laughs> That's, that's him um so yeah like that's probably where i'm at at the moment with coffee like at the moment i'm drinking a lychee um fermented coffee so they get they use lychees and they use the yeast so the yeast they'll pre-ferment a yeast or inoculate a yeast with lychee and then remove the fruit so remove the lychee and then basically put the coffee cherry so red looking cherry that has the coffee beans in it um, and ferment that with that yeast. And it gives this like, I guess, 
lychee flavored coffee. So it's like a warmed up iced tea that tastes like lychee and coffee mixed together. I have like a peach one, a passion fruit one, and one that I'm roasting at the moment is called a My Pop Culture, which is a tastes like a a fruit punch meets coffee. Like it's it's awesome. <laughs> like it's really fun. <laughs> do you do you like the lychee coffee flavor? Um yeah, I mean it's I like the lychee flavor. It's definitely different. Um definitely specialty. <laughs> And definitely like unique like when you give it to people to try they're like coffee shouldn't taste like that mm -hmm. they're so amazed and like that's probably the part of coffee i enjoy the most like sharing coffees with other people and sharing coffee over conversations and just being like being the conversation or being the centerpiece of of that conversation and like try this like give <laughs> the same coffee process three different ways and be like oh like I didn't realize it can taste like, you know, yeah. We're seeing coffee go towards wine, I guess, wine and whiskey kind of <laughs> realm of being like, this is the nuance it can have, um, which is, yeah, I, I really enjoying and enjoying it at the moment. I, I feel like you're way ahead of <laughs> probably anyone who I know, but my favorite um, coffee roaster in Austin where I live, uh, they used to do this thing pre pandemic where they'd have like seven different coffees you could try, but they would, as you were mentioning, they would take one coffee and brew it in three different methods. So you could taste the difference. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was like the first time I went in there, I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. Like that yeah. really, really got me. <laughs> yeah. There's but, a few good uh, roasters, um, black and white coffee roasters in America. Mm -hmm. Awesome. It's a roaster cat. She has a really cool Instagram that like is really uh, user friendly to understand like this is like why that coffee tastes that way, and like how you how they roast it as well is like a whole other world of coffee. So you kind of have like the brewer's side of coffee if you want. So like, I guess if you want to relate it back to swimming, it's like that's the swimmers, and then you have like the roasters, which is almost like the coach, mm -hmm. and then you have like the producers, which is like you know who's funding it on the bottom or like the forefathers of swimming. <laughs> um, like, so, you know, it's like, it's really interesting to learn about the whole process and it's something I enjoy and like, I love going to cuppings as well. That's really cool. We have like new coffees, new producers, and they're like, just like, like basically like a bowl of coffee and you're just like drinking out of it and then trying it all different, not ways, but different, um, productions so yeah it might be a anaerobic ferment it might be a natural ferment to the way the fruit off the cherry so the, the fruit away from the seed or the, uh, the fruit away from the coffee bean so going to a cupping how do you how do you function by like <laughs> trying all of this different coffee like don't you get like over caffeinated like 30 minutes in i mean yes and no because i think you're drinking you're drinking like maybe 25 mils if that of each coffee and you might try like seven coffees so you're really only drinking one full okay. standard filter coffee <laughs> yeah. but the weirdest one i've been to is like um the water guy i was talking about him and um him and one of his closest friends carlos um so simon and carlos they competed in 2021 at the mm -hmm. World Brewers Cup, and they got okay. third in the world. So for this like coffee, Pretty so good. that like, yeah, really good coffee, like unbelievable, <laughs> like nothing I've ever tasted before. But we, I went with a friend to um their, like they called it the King's Tour, and they did it, and they basically showed how they got to the final recipe, the final brew, and like it, it started at seven thirty at night, and like we had like by eight o'clock we'd had four coffees and then like by eight, it was like six oh, wait, like oh my god um so that's one of the weirdest ones into where i've been like, oh, like it was great it was really cool to go see but like it's now nine o'clock at night and i'm just like laying here in bed buzzing like um <laughs> yeah it was awesome <laughs> that's that's so great i yeah i went to um 
I've been to a copy, a couple of coffee festivals here. Like Austin has one and uh, my brother mm -hmm. lives in New Mexico and there's one there, but like we don't Amer Americans don't get small sizes. Like they're like, Oh, here, try <laughs> our coffee. And here's a 12 ounce cup of our coffee, oh, you know, God. and everyone's doing that. And it's just like, I want like two sips, you know, it's like, I want to yeah. try really good coffee and I want to like sample it. I don't want, yeah, <laughs> like we don't, we don't get small, but yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. <laughs> super sized or not. Right. <laughs> exactly. Especially in Texas, right? Every, everything is bigger <laughs> in Texas. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> But uh, all right. Well, this this absolutely delivered. Thank you so much for indulging me. Okay, I <laughs> I do want to hear about the roasting. Uh, yeah. So you buy the green beans, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the like the raw the raw coffee beans, and then <clears throat> how have you? Tell me about the learning curve of roasting coffee because I'm pretty sure it's fairly complicated. Yeah, it it is it is definitely complicated, and each coffee. I guess like a, like a steak or like anything you're cooking, I guess requires like slightly different, um, has its own nuance, I guess. And my partner and I, Leah, she, her and I did a roasting course with a guy here in Brizzy, um, Ray at the coffee commune, which is really cool. We did like a full day where he just like, you know, 9am till about four thirty-five o'clock. We were just like, doing roasting theory, trying coffees and then roasting and then trying coffees and then like, you know, um, and then we bought a roaster and then like, we've had a fair few fuck ups. Like we've both nearly lit the roaster on fire a couple of times. Like you just like let the coffee go. And then it like, you like stop watching it for like a split second. And then it's like black and you're like, Oh cool. No worries. Like, <laughs> um, but you know, it's only a 300 gram roaster. So we only really do 200 gram batches at the moment. Um, so not really like anything substantial in that sense, but yeah, like it is a big learning curve. It makes you realize like, you know, uh, like, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot more to it. Um, but yeah, like I could talk about this all day. Like I could talk about, you know, you could do a natural coffee and it's like, you're trying to aim for 196 to 203 Celsius. And you're trying to be like a, dec a decreasing rate of rise of temperature. So that's mm -hmm. what you're aiming for the whole time. And you're trying to create, uh, by doing like you create that environment by reducing heat slowly and increasing fan speed or one or the other, sometimes simultaneously, sometimes not. And then most of the time with filter coffee, especially natural and uh, honey processed or uh, washed coffees you're doing a lot more towards like 10 percent development ratio so you get a ratio like a computer works it out you can work it out on paper but you have to be very quick because it's happening all like simultaneously but you're like looking for a, a development ratio around that um, of a green phase a drying phase so when the coffee goes from green to yellow and then after it cracks the first time so there's like an explosion of energy like popcorn it sounds like popcorn in the roaster um, and that's when it starts to smell really good. Um, uh, and then that last spot is the development ratio. And that's where you're kind of like looking for a percentage um, based on that coffee. So it might be anywhere from 10% to 15%. It's probably more towards like espresso machines. Um, and then like some of the, the, the coffees I was talking about before, like the infused coffees, like they're so highly processed. Like you have to break all the rules and go down to 5% and like, it's you're like oh okay so like i've learned all these rules and now you're telling me it's the opposite cool cool no worries like <laughs> but yeah like it's just just a whole other world that i'm thoroughly enjoying exploring in the spare time and giving me something else to like look at it's always <clears throat> i think uh i think athletes you know have a tendency to hyper fixate on things and yep. so it's always <laughs> enjoyable for me to talk about other things aside from swimming with athletes, because if they're really into it, then they know their stuff and, uh, I end up learning a lot. So it's great. Yeah. Yeah. We're all hyper fixators for sure. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of that. And I like, I've learned 
to be like, okay, do you have time for a new hyperfixation? Because like, you know, end of 2022, it was like golf. And I was like hyperfixated on that. And I'm like, I still want to go play golf, but I'm also like, you don't have that much time to go out for four hours, like, and hit the ball. Um, but at the moment, like, yeah, it is coffee and coffee roasting at the moment. Excellent. Well, I, I love that hobby. Uh, I can't say the same for golf, but thank you for indulging, uh, my, my, my coffee fixation. I'm going to, I'm going to end this circling back to swimming. Um, yeah. You and I, you and I talked about this a little off camera, but you know, the, the, the clock strikes midnight on December 31 and it's like, all right, it's the Olympic year, you know, like we are, we are fully in 2024. You obviously done an Olympic lead up before you know what it's like, you know, what an Olympic games is like, obviously Tokyo is a little different given the, given the pandemic, but you know, you've been there, you've done it. Um, how are you feeling now um knowing that it's like all right we got six months it is 2024 mm. and paris is right around the corner yeah i think it's more exciting like you know last year i described it to a coach last year when they're asking about it like last year is almost like you're laying the foundation and this year is about putting that foundation to work and putting the polish on and for me that's probably what gets really exciting like it's like, you know, last year is, is exciting in the sense that you're like, oh, this is the beginning of the Olympic mountain, if you want, or the, the start, this is base camp one, you know, world's 2023. And now we're probably at base camp three, like of Everest, you know, we're, we're getting really close to that and you can start to see the end or, you know, the light of, of that. And for me, that's really exciting and like gives that extra piece of motivation. And I know probably around that Flagstaff time again, well, there'll be that last really like that big push again and the last bit of excitement um, kind of kick in. And yeah, like, as I said to you before, it's like, it's a bit like jumping on a moving train. Um, like when you, when you get back, it's like you, you're jumping and like running next to the train. You're like, okay, like I've got to get on. And that's, you're, you've kind of passed that phase probably by now, but, it's definitely that exciting period where you're you're really building and you're trying to do things you've never done before and you have that like in the back of your mind of like this is the olympic year this is like where it's at and this is the exciting time i think that's a great stopping point zach thank you so much for uh for coming back on the podcast it was great to talk to you again and uh i appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat thank you very much for having me it's been great it's been awesome You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.